0: Uh, Today, we're in the middle of a series called Philippians, uh, really uh, talking about joy thieves. Look into the book of Philippians. Today, we're going to talk about the advancement of the gospel and how our joy is caught up in that. Uh, But before we do that, I'm going to show you what advancement of the gospel looks like. I'm going to show you uh, a a live dramatization of what that actually looks like. I'm going to bring up to you, some of you know Josie Baldwin. Uh, Josie, you go ahead and come on up here. Josie um, has been a, a faithful covenant member of our church uh, growing up in our church, all through kids ministry, student ministry, uh, at growing up through college age years, she has served in uh, a lot of capacities at our church. She at, was at Lye Point Smyrna campus, and then she's been here for six years. Uh, there's really not a ministry I don't think that you've not been a part of. I mean, she's done probably preschool kids, our sending ministry, student ministry. Some of you students, I'm looking at you in the room. I know that some of you have benefited. Uh, from Josie and the relationship that she's poured into you. She has been a faithful uh, gospel partner of our church for a very, very long time. Uh, a while back, God put uh, the burden and the call to Brazil on her heart. And we have laid that before you as a church a couple of different times. Uh, we put it in the Go Center to let you know that she was raising support uh, to be a fully funded vocational uh, missionary in Brazil. Um, today is a day that I get to tell you that Josie is fully supported and she's going to Brazil. That's sweet. Uh, because of a lot of your generosity and your gospel partnership with her, she's going. Um, now, there's some bittersweetness in this. I'm, I'm going to lie. We're going to miss her. Um, there's some sadness of the relationship, and I know that she'll, you'll feel some of that sadness as well. But um, we're just so very excited. Uh, today, uh, we're going to make her feel loved, um, cared for, encouraged, and all of those things that hopefully extends beyond that today. She'll be at our Go Center Upon you leaving today. So go stop by. Uh, There still might be a way that you can partner in a a very minimal monetary way, Um, but prayer is a huge piece of that. Um, Connectivity, maybe exchange uh, contact information, um, Facebook friends, so she'll let you know about what the Lord's doing, so there might be mutual encouragement. Uh, Today, we're gonna do something a little bit different in our commissioning. You've seen us do this before. Um, we see in the scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament this, uh, this idea and this practice of laying hands on, on someone who's being sent out of the church. As Jesus sent out missionaries, the, the early church sent out disciples to go evangelize. Uh, we're going to do that today um, to show Josie that uh, we are with her in every sense of the word, going with her physically. uh, We may not be physically, but today we're gonna put our hands on her so she would just feel the warmth, the connectivity of this church commissioning her as she leaves. So Josie, you know what to do. Go down there. She's gonna stand right in the middle. All right, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Um, if you're around her somewhere, if you would, if you would stand up and and put your hands on Josie, if you would just be willing to do that, uh, she's going to be smack in the middle. Josie, go ahead and head down there. Uh, I want her to feel uh, the love of this church today in this commissioning. So stand up, y'all. Go ahead and stand up and. Uh, Lay hands on Josie. If you can't reach her from where you're at, just man, create a chain or something like that. We just want you to love on this young lady. All right, let's, let's pray the Lord um, advances the gospel in her ministry. Father, we love you. And you have so uh, modeled for us a life given. Uh, Of of coming to us, seeking and saving the lost and and going uh, with us and to the gospel, bringing it to us. You're ascending God. And God, I thank you for doing that in Josie's life. You pursued her ferociously. You chased her down. You found her. God, all of those things, we're so very thankful that you have done that in her life. And I'm so very thankful that her life has been marked by the gospel. Uh, Today, God, we are uh, both saddened and excited for what you're going to do. She is leaving this body in um, in physical presence, and we'll miss her greatly. But, God, we are also very excited about how you're going to use her in Brazil. Uh, God, in the laying of hands in this very moment, I pray that Josie feels the warm embrace of this church, the love of this church, the hands that are trembling on her back at this very moment, uh, that her heart is stirred up with affection of how the creek loves her. God, as she lands in Brazil, would she be uh, the look upon your face, the tone of your voice, and the touch of your hand to the people that she's going to minister to. We love you. We love Josie. Thank you for the gift that she's been to our church. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Oh, thank you all so much for doing that. Uh, Man, special, special day. Josie, thank you for, she'll be at uh, the Go Center, as I said, on the way out. Y'all stop and hug her and uh, figure out a way to partner with her a little bit more. Hey, uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. All right, we're going to do 12 through 18 today. Uh, We're walking through slowly, um, which is great. I love doing that. Um, Let me tell you a Chinese proverb up top today. It should set us up. Uh, there's, a, there's an old Chinese proverb, a man who was a farmer, um, and he lost his horse. Loses his horse. His neighbor comes up and says, oh, that is terrible news that you've lost your horse. The, the, the farmer responded. And he said, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Uh, the next day, uh, the horse returns to the farmer along with 11 more wild horses, um, and they get, they get put into the corral. So 11 more, right? He gains, and the, the neighbor comes up and says, Wow. You I have crazy good luck, man. This is awesome. And the farmer responded, "He said, maybe, maybe not. We'll see." Uh, the next day, his son was out breaking one of the horses in, um, and gets bucked off the horse, falls down, breaks his leg. Uh, the farmer, I'm sorry, the neighbor comes over. Then the neighbor says, "Man, this is horrible, horrible news, right?" And the and the farmer said, "Maybe, maybe not. We'll see." A few days later, uh, the army uh, recruiter comes to the, uh, to the man's home, the farm there, um, and they're recruiting young men for a time of war. Shows up, the son has broken his leg so he can't go to war, uh, and the neighbor comes over and says, Wow, you are the luckiest man alive. And the farmer, of course, says, Maybe, maybe not, we'll see. Uh, I think you see the progression here of where we're simply going here is that our life is not caught up in single moments. There's a bigger picture of what's happening in our life. And often we don't see the big picture. We just get caught up in the moments of things. And when we begin to do that, our joy can be warped because it's caught up in our circumstances, both either good or bad. And that will be something that ultimately will steal our joy is basing it upon our circumstances. We'll talk about that today. Uh, we are in the middle of a series, third weekend, Joy Thiefs. And we have laid before the theme of Philippians, which is joy, joy defined. The ultimate satisfaction, the ultimate pleasure in our lives is called joy. Joy, and we've said this over and over again, uh, that joy is not caught up in what we have, what we do, our circumstances. Joy is not found in a traffic-free I-24. It's not found in a better-behaved kids, or it's not even found when our kids hit home runs or score touchdowns or get scholarships. It's not found in those things. It's not found in the dream car, the dream job that you've landed, or the dream house or the dream spouse. Joy, ultimate satisfaction, ultimate pleasure in your life is only found in Jesus Christ. That's it. But when we, as sinful people, uh, begin to chase other things in this world for our joy, that's when we allow thieves to come into our lives. The thieves of insecurity, when we get to be becoming insecure about who we are, man, joy thief. Uh, the thief of isolation we talked about last week when we try to play the lone Christian game and go solo sport. Man, that's not good for us, and that will ultimately steal our joy. Today, we're clearly going to talk about the joy thief of a hyper view of circumstances. That if we think our joy is tied up in the moment of thing, when things are just really, really good, We'll have a warped perspective on joy, and it will always escape our grasp. Uh, The bottom line today, uh, we're talking about joy, is that it's more than a moment. All right, so let me pray, and then we'll get into the text today. Father, this is us um, just inclining our ears and our attention and hearts to you laying down the mental baggage uh, that we might have walked in with today or the mental comforts that we've entered today in. This is us declaring, God, that you have a word for us today. And it is by your word and your power that our lives can be uh, filled with greater joy than they were when we walked in these doors. It's not preaching that does that. It's the word that does that. So, God, would you, by your grace and your mercy... Uh, give us ears to hear and eyes to see uh, clearly what more joy is and that we would stop chasing it and trying to just climb this rope of sand on the way to joy and that we would just stop and rest and find it in you and you alone. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, so let me catch you up. If you've not been here uh, walking through this, Uh, first few weeks. Let me just recap and set up what's happening here. Paul is writing this letter to the church in Philippi, but he himself is in a prison in Rome. All right. So he's writing from, uh, he's waiting trial, possible execution. Uh, The church in Philippi uh, hears about Paul's affliction. So they get concerned, right? That's their boy. The church planner, Paul, Pastor Paul, they get very concerned. So, what they do is they gather around, they get a guy named Epaphroditus and say, Epaphroditus, we're sending you to go back to Rome to go visit Paul to see how he's doing. In fact, here's a love offering. Would you take this to Paul? Let him know we love, we encourage him. So, Epaphroditus packs his stuff. He goes to Rome to visit Paul. He gets there, there's encouragement, there's this reunion, it's great happening. Epaphroditus becomes ill. Uh, God mercifully heals him. Uh, And then Paul says, all right, Epaphroditus, we're good now. Uh, I I think you need to go back to Philippi and encourage them. Go back there. And in fact, before you go, let me write a letter that you can take with you to the congregation when you get there. So that's where we're kind of at here. They're arriving. We know that that letter, we started to read it a few weeks ago. That letter was full of greeting um, it was full of thanksgiving, prayer, love, affection. Paul had that for his church. And here's the deal. This was something that was kind of God worked in my mind as I read that. Paul talked about having affection for this church in Philippi. He didn't even know most of the people, and he might have known three believers in there. He didn't even know them, and yet he said he yearned with affection. His love for them overflowed. Never met them. Now, that doesn't jive in our culture, right? We say things like, you don't love me. You don't even know me. And I, and I think about that in myself and my position as a pastor. There's some many of you that I don't know. Like, I don't know what makes you tick, what's hurt, your hurts, pain, your pains, your sorrows. I don't know those things. But our love for one another, my love for you, the love for we have for each other in the church, is not based upon knowing who we are in a personal way. It's based upon the gospel the united partnership that we have in the gospel. So that's what Paul is saying. He's writing this intro letter. But today, he gets to the place in the letter where the church in Philippi wants to know how Paul is. All right, we've gotten to the things. Can you just tell us, how is Paul? Read the letter, he gets it out of the bag, and here's what the letter says. Philippians 1.12. I want you to know, brothers... That what has happened to me, imprisonment, suffering, has really served to advance the gospel. It's a pretty positive response, right? We know that he's in the Roman penitentiary for the terrible crime of preaching the gospel. This isn't 21st century prison, cable, three hots and a cot kind of thing. This is not a good prison situation for Paul All for just being faithful to Jesus. Just for being faithful to Jesus. And we know that we see and hear preachers today that say things like, if you're just faithful to Jesus, your life will be comfort cake. right? You'll have this trouble-free life if you're just faithful to Jesus. And just because you have pastor in front of your name, just because you have a Bible that sits in the pulpit, does not mean you're a faithful preacher The Christian life does not avoid suffering. I'd love to see how Osteen explains this one away. Like, I'd love to, hey, Paul, this is why you're not having your best life now, man. This is why your dreams are not coming true. I'd love to hear that. This is clearly an example that Paul's life is a complete refutation that following Jesus leads to a trouble-free, lack-of-suffering kind of life. Paul is the most faithful Christian evangelist, church planter of his day. He, there's no one else more faithful than Paul, and yet his life was marked for suffering for the gospel. Definitely not his best life now kind of stuff. Look at some of the things that happened to Paul. 2 Corinthians 11, 24-28. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship. To many a sleepless night and hunger, thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure. And apart from those things, <laughs> he's saying, there's the daily pressure on me of anxiety for all the churches. The pastor's awesome burden is what he says there. So, multiple times he'd been beaten to the point of death, left for dead on the side of the road. He was stoned, and he didn't mean that he went to spend some time in the mile high city here. It's not what he meant. He says, Rocks were hurled at my head, is basically what he's saying. Beaten, boiled, shipwrecked, suffering, we know that he called from something a thorn in his flesh. Repeatedly ridiculed and slandered, now he's in prison for preaching the gospel. But the thing with Paul is here is he knew that his joy wasn't caught up in his circumstances. He knew that joy was more than a moment. Now, even though I don't think any of us have suffered like Paul, I think we all know what suffering feels like to different varying degrees. I think we know what suffering of a a troubled marriage That you might be walking in today. Things are conflict heavy. There's not peace between you and your spouse. Could be on the verge of divorce. Parents, you might be, or I'm sorry, students, kids, you might be walking through, your parents might be going through divorce. Maybe you've got some bad uh, medical reports. You're walking through a sickness and illness. Maybe there's financial woes in your house and you're drowning in debt. Kids gone awry, not loving Jesus. I think we know what suffering feels like. Paul's lesson here out of the gate is positive, is that joy is not found in our circumstances. It is more than a moment. There's a bigger picture that is at hand here than just the moment. Our adverse things are going to happen to Christians, right? Adverse things are going to happen to Christians. Some of those are by our own hand. Sometimes we invite suffering in our life because of our foolishness. But sometimes things happen to us that we didn't deserve. Right? Two truths. Man is wicked, but God has his way. Let's look at 1 Peter 4.12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is Revealed. Peter says, It's not strange, it's not absurd, it's not meaningless. Suffering is a tool in the hand of the Almighty God to refine you, to test you, to purify you if you are in Christ. We're unfit for glory. Suffering refines and shapes and molds us to prepare us for heavenly places. We see has a, a basic principle there as we see how a, a pilot is tested um, during a storm, right? That's where, he, that's where he's really measured during a storm. The Christian is tested during affliction. And that's what Peter is talking about here. But it's not just testing. It's a plan. Look at verse 19 of 1 Peter 4. Let those who also suffer, get this, According to the will of God. Suffering according to the will of God, not outside of the will of God, according to the will of God, entrust their souls to a faithful Creator. Peter just said that suffering is not outside of God's will, it is God's will. May we never cry. Why do bad things happen to good people ever again? We see and we believe, we know that the promise of Paul in Romans eight twenty eight, all things work together for the good of those who love Christ Jesus. God himself is able to employ, manipulate, and overcome all circumstances. He's overcoming all of man's wickedness. He can overcome all of Satan's plan. Why? Because he is sovereign over all things, including our circumstances. This is where theology informs life. When the suffering comes, if we could see that it's a testing, refining, purifying work of God, his uncomfortable grace on our life... Then and then only might we be able to say, as James says, is one two I rejoice in all things, count it all joy when you meet various trials of various kinds. You see, that that counsel, that James one, two, that's foolish. It's foolish, right? You go outside outside of the walls, outside of the church to unbelievers, you say, Hey man, I know you're suffering. Just be joyful. They'll look at you like you're crazy. But if you know Christ, you see that suffering is the trial, the testing of the Lord. And it's not outside of the will of God. It's a part of God's will. Then and then only can you say, I rejoice in my suffering. That's Paul. That's how he can rejoice. Listen to this. J.S. King said this. The things that happen to me are not by chance, I know. But because my Father's wisdom has willed to have it so, for the furtherance of the gospel as a part of his great plan, God can use our disappointments and the weaknesses of man. Listen, things don't just happen. Things do not just happen. Nothing is outside of the sovereign plan of God. Don't let your circumstances and your suffering dictate your joy. So let's see Paul's response here. Not only does he have joy, but here's what he doesn't do. He could have gotten really bitter at this point. Paul could have really said, I've been faithful. Why, God? He could have gone on and on and complained. He said, I could have, I could have stayed where I was. I've got all this money, power, fame. And this is what you have for me, God. Or, Here's what else Paul could have done at his platform of suffering. He could have gone on and on about what has happened to him. I'm so cold. I'm hungry. They won't feed me. They're mean to me. Can you pray for me? But that's not what he does, is it? He doesn't talk about what happened to him. He talks about what has happened because of what has happened to him. Now think about that. How do we use our platform of suffering? See, Paul didn't waste his suffering. How do we use the platform of suffering in our life? When bad things happen, what do you do? Do we go around and witness to everybody and evangelize about our suffering? Oh, it's so bad in my life right now. You just won't believe all the bad stuff that's happening in my life. Woe is me, pray for me. And yes, you should ask for prayer. I'm not saying that. But if the story we're telling in the midst of our suffering, woe is me, 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 look what has happened to me, we go to Facebook to write a letter about what has happened to us. Let's learn from Paul. Paul said that suffering is a platform. Don't waste it. Talking about what has happened to you gets your eyes focused on what can happen because of what happened to you. Paul says what happened was what? The advancement of the gospel. Don't don't look at me. Don't worry about me. I'm good. Here's what's great. The gospel is being advanced. That's where his joy was found. He gave his life to it. He won't stop talking about the gospel. Everything Paul touched turned to the gospel. And I, I hear that, I look at that, and that's a challenge to the pastor. I want people saying that about me. I want them saying, Hey, RC, you got to that church at the creek. He won't stop talking about the gospel every week. It's gospel this, it's gospel that. They leave here saying all those things. I love that. That's an awesome accusation. I hope you all leave and say, Man, I got to just talking about the gospel all the time. That is the greatest brand to put on a pastor right there. I hope and pray that people say that about you, because it's not just the pastor. Faithful Christians, whatever they touch, turns to the gospel. So if Paul's given his life to this, his joy's caught up in it, he wants it in advance. We've got to know, what is this gospel that Paul has given his life so much for? What is it? Here's what it's not. Paul is not going around evangelizing in Rome, behavior modification. Hey, do this. Don't do this. Go to church. Don't drink. Don't cuss. Don't smoke. He's not running around teaching behavior modification to people. He's not even going around preaching a modern day gospel that says, God has a wonderful plan for your life. If you'll just do this, if you'll follow a few steps, you too can be saved. That's not Paul's gospel. That's not the biblical gospel. And church, that is not our gospel. The gospel that Paul preached, the biblical gospel says this, that we are enemies of God, born that way, rebels in our nature, dead to God. We don't even realize we need life. We are desperately, our, our works and our efforts to gain God are worthless rags. We are utterly, completely dependent on God doing something in us or we'll be hopelessly lost forever. What does he do? He comes to us. He loves us, runs, lives the life we can't live, jumps on a cross, and then God takes the record of our rebellion and puts it through the hands and drives it right through a nail in his own son, Jesus Christ. He then dies My death, your death, raises himself up from the grave three days later, conquering death like no other man had ever done, showing that he, in fact, was God, and says that if you believe that story, if you give your life over to it, because it's so beautiful that you too can be saved, you too can have life. You don't just get abundant life, you don't just get eternal life, but here's the gospel story, you get God. God is the gift of the gospel. That's Paul's gospel. That's it. Church, we have got to be careful. Listen, I could talk, I could preach probably five sermons on this. We have got to be careful. If we say we give our life over to this story and we engage a world full of sin and rebellion of people everywhere, listen, this is is what the people need to hear. This is what God says is the message of salvation. People do not need to hear how to behave. Stop doing those harmful things like sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend. It's not good for you. You know what you could use? You could use some church. You you need to get back in church because I think that will fix your problem, right? Church is a broken savior, y'all. It's never saved one person in the history of the world. It's where saved people go, but it does not save people. So as we go, this is the story they've got to hear. The preaching of this story is what all of your lost friends in this world have got to hear. This is the gospel, and I pray that it's forever on our lips. So here's how it gets advanced. Paul says this is how it's advanced in two ways. And he tells us in verse 13. Let's look at it. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul says two ways the gospel is being advanced. People are hearing the gospel and then others are preaching the gospel more boldly. Let's talk about the first group. You know, Rome was, the, um, it was an anti-Christ society, right? they haters and hostile to the gospel. Uh, they wanted to extinguish all talk of the risen Christ. Paul was the head of the snake. If they could just shut Paul up and cut it off, this whole Christianity nonsense would just simply go away. But Paul says his imprisonment. Because they've put him in prison, it has advanced the gospel to all of the imperial guard and all of those around. That he literally had the opportunity to preach the gospel to the Roman imperial guard. Now, let's, let's get our numbers around that, what, our mind around what that really means. The imperial guard, um, also known as the praetorian guard, uh, was... Uh, rome 's mighty men, greatest army on the planet, nine thousand strong, chosen uh, as appointment of personal bodyguards of the emperor himself, uh, for very specific task um, and, and in this idea, the way that it would have worked, as Paul entered into the Roman prison, he would have immediately been chained to a guard. So one of these imperial guards he 's chained to them, they change shifts every few hours. Uh, So Paul is literally bound to a guard 24-7 for two years. Never unchained to another man in the prison. You know that these Roman imperial guard used to being chained to psychopaths, uh, crazy people. Uh, They're just ranting and raving. But now they're chained to somebody who's different. This guy is not hostile He's not fighting, he's not spitting, he's not punching back. He's preaching the gospel to them. He's loving them, showing affection to them, giving them great truth and grace. Because that's what the gospel is, truth and grace. There's something different about this Paul than all other of the prisoners. Word had undoubtedly spread throughout all of Rome... Here's this crazy, strange Jew from Tarsus, right? This Paul guy, who believed that a crucified uh, rabble-rouser from Galilee is in fact the Lord of all creation. But word began to spread because of Paul's imprisonment. I think the point in that is that we see Paul using suffering as a net to save souls. That's what he did. He saw this as an incredible opportunity. And we know that people were saved in the church. We know that by the end of Philippians, uh, we're told that Paul is thanking his closing letter to the saints in Caesar's household. So some of these, in fact, imperial guard, were in fact saved because of Paul's imprisonment. Listen to what John Piper says about this idea. He's really writing about Paul, but we can surely relate. And this is a paraphrase, I think. This is what it means to be a Christian. Love God, sing, preach, teach in jail, and love the jailer. That's the heart of the Christian right there, and that's what the heart of Paul is doing. He's embracing the circumstance. He's not allergic to suffering. He says, I'll take it. What a great opportunity. I get to share the gospel with these people that I would never have reached in my life. He knew that his life was more than a moment. He, he thought, you know, we, we would be tempted to think this is going to hinder the gospel. Now I'm chained to a guard. Paul says, that guard is chained to me. The gospel's not being hindered, it's being advanced. And there's this ironic piece here because, uh, the, because Rome thought that they had quieted down Christianity, they thought they had shut it down. But in this, the gospel's advancing because of this very reason. These Rome Imperial Guard, this Praetorian Guard, they would have never come to hear Paul preach. They would have never come to church. So what does God do? I'll take the gospel to them and I'll use Paul's suffering to do it. Listen, church. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of soldiers outside these walls. Laverne, Middle Tennessee, Smyrna, Murfreesboro who will never come to a church to hear the gospel. Never will they step foot in these walls. God wants to use you, your circumstances, your suffering to bring the gospel to them. You talk about embracing Paul's teaching here. This is how, this is how the gospel is advanced. The gospel is not advanced by 550 going out, inviting people to the church to hear one man preach the gospel. It's by everyday Christians. You, me on the ground with you, getting out and sharing the gospel with people one on one. Listen to what Spurgeon says about this idea. Prince of preachers, if you stand a half a mile off from a man... And throw the gospel at him, you will miss him. But if you go close to him, chain yourself to him, lay hold of him, giving a hearty grip of the hand, and show you have an affection for him, you will, by God's blessing, lead him in the right way. So the gospel is you. It's not me throwing the gospel at them a mile away, but you Getting into the trenches of the people in your life and grabbing a hold of them. Chaining yourself, in fact, to them. Here's the second way that Paul advanced the gospel. It also had an impact on the believers in Rome, the Roman Christians. And we see that in verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear so, in addition to it being advanced outside of the imperial court, other Christians in Rome began to hear about Paul's suffering, and it, it empowered and emboldened them in such a way to preach the gospel more courageously. You see, they had become quieted. They had become fearful of shrinking back, declaring that Jesus is Lord, when in fact Caesar was Lord. So, out of that fear, they became quiet Christians, that they were going to lose something, possibly their life. But here's the ironic thing that happened the very fear of wrath of Rome that they feared, the, that wrath poured out on Paul, his imprisonment, is the very thing that bolstered their faith to share the gospel more courageously. In the midst of persecution, other Christians got on fire for the Lord, and it made them proclaim the gospel more boldly. And this is the way it's always been in church history since we have seen it go down. Every time there is pressure put on the bride of Christ, she flourishes. We see the first martyr of the faith. We see Stephen, who is stoned to death, y'all. What happens? The gospel is advanced. The disciples go on to suffer beatings, boilings, beheadings what happens the gospel is advanced move through church history to the protestant 15th century reformation when you have people committed to the gospel stepping into situations fighting for the gospel to be proclaimed losing their lives for the sake of the gospel their blood being spilled out gospel is advanced Church father, Tertullian, said that the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. That seed of the martyrs is still producing fruit today in the church. Another modern day um, example of how God uses suffering to advance the gospel is Jim Elliott. Missionary Jim Elliott, who uh, gathered around a band of brothers to go to the Akka tribe, the Akka Indian tribe in the Amazon, a very hostile, hostile place to the gospel. When I say hostile, I don't mean it was offensive. They were going to kill you if you preached the gospel. But they got together as a band of brothers, got on a plane, going to the Aka tribe. They landed there to preach the gospel. They began, uh, and, and the other four, not Jim Elliott, but the other four said, we're packing. We're taking a gun here because this is scary. Jim, aren't you going to take a gun? And Jim said, no, I'm not. I'm ready to meet my maker, however they are not. So they get on the ground, start sharing the gospel. All five are speared to death for preaching the gospel. Now on paper, that looks like a failure. Gospel hindered. What's going to happen now? Well, the exact opposite happened. It led a gospel revival. The wives of the missionaries who were dead got on fire and zealous for the Lord. Seeing their proclamation of the gospel through their husbands, they go back to the Akka tribe. The very people who killed their husbands. Why? To preach and advance the gospel. The seeds took place. People in the Akka tribe were saved. Not all. But there was salvation that happened because of the faithfulness of five missionaries, the faithfulness of wives of missionaries. The gospel always advances in the midst of suffering. Back to Paul. Clearly, he knew that his life, losing, losing his life wasn't on the forefront of his mind. Like he knew that was coming but his life meant more than preservation of his life. He, he didn't fear death is what I'm trying to say here. He knew that his, first, uh, his last breath on earth was his first breath in heaven. So it didn't fear him. So Paul says, I'm not going to fear my life. If I don't fear my life, and I'm not fearing imprisonment, don't you think that you can fear losing a friend in school? Like, like if, if Paul's not afraid of losing a life, should I be afraid of losing my job for the sake of the gospel? Should I be afraid of losing a community of people by proclaiming the gospel? Absolutely not. When Christ is your greatest treasure, all of those fears seem to lose their sting. Now, I think with this idea of sharing the gospel here and how it can advance through suffering, I think there has to be an urgency. Um, I think about the urgency of a physical rescue... And why there is not urgency in the spiritual rescue. Take this for example. If one of your children um, ran out of church. Okay. They're out. You dropped them off right now. They're out the double doors. They're heading to Amelville Road. And they're walking the yellow lines down the middle. And I hear about it. And I dip out. And I go out to the edge of the grass. And I watch your child walk in the middle of Amelville Road on the double lines. And I sit back and I say, Hmm. I hope this goes good. Uh, I don't really want to say anything to them. Their parents might get mad. Like if I put my hands on them, they might get offended. They might try to sue me. Uh, it, it would just, I'm, I'm just going to sit back and hope that this turns out okay when they're in the middle of oncoming traffic. There's no way i do that. In fact, if I did, here's what you would say about me. How much do you have to hate my kid to not go out on the road and rescue him, right? Isn't that what you would tell me? You don't love my kid. In fact, you must hate him really bad to not step out in the middle of that road and rescue him. But yet, we don't have the same urgency when it comes to spiritual rescue. We don't have courage. We're cowards. Why is that? Why why is it that we sit back and don't see the urgency in soul winning. We should. We should engage in soul winning with the same urgency as we would react in any physical situation of a physical rescue. This is the urgency that Paul is calling us to. We know that Paul said in 2 Corinthians that sharing the gospel and evangelizing is is fearful. He said that. He said it's going to be tough. So we need to encourage one another Preach the gospel to ourself and meditate on all of the martyrs in our faith that should bolster and empower our gospel advancement. Now, let's see this last text here. Because Paul's not just being attacked from the world. He's being attacked by Christians in the church. All right? If it's not hard enough, here it comes from those inside the walls. 15. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Paul said there's some in the church, they're preaching Christ out of goodwill. They care. They don't only care about the ones they're preaching to, but they care about me, brother in the gospel. But there's another camp of these Christians, and they preach Christ out of envy. They're preaching the gospel, so let's make sure we're clear on here. This is a pure gospel, or else he would have refuted them. He didn't say they're false teachers. They're preaching the gospel, but their motives are misplaced. They're not anti-Jesus, they're anti-Paul. They actually find joy that he's in prison. Maybe he was a threat to their ministry. Maybe they were tired of him getting all the pub. Paul this, Paul that. All right, go to prison, Paul. Maybe they're taking some kind of sick, selfish glory in that. I don't know. But... Here's how Paul plays that. They're coming at him. I know how I play that. They're coming at me. Here's probably what I'm going to do. Bitterness. Gossip. I'm probably going to go around and tell a bunch of people there's some Christians attacking me in church. I might flex some authority over them. Hey, I'm the pastor. That's not what Paul does. Look what Paul does against those who are attacking him in the church. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. He says, I don't care. You say all you want to do. I don't care. As long as the gospel is being advanced, I have great joy in that. Man, that takes great humility but really what it takes is someone who has joy in the gospel, joy in Jesus. And that is your life mission, that the gospel is advanced. So I think, I think as we land this, listen, we've clearly stated that our life is going to be full of ups, downs, roller coaster moments, circumstances. Um, and I think there's going to be times that we feel this metaphorically being chained to our circumstances. Um. But I think if the gospel is first in our life, I think if we give our life over to this story and the advancement of it in the world, then I think that we'll be able to see that our joy is more than a moment. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that we would be able to echo... Paul's closing words there by saying whatever then I rejoice as long as Christ is proclaimed that we would find great joy in that. God would you just take all of our platforms of suffering and circumstances that may be walking through right now and would we see them and focus on what you can actually do because of what's happened to us. pray that we would have a, a bigger vision of you and what you might be doing in our life to not only test us, to not only refine us in our suffering, but, but to advance the gospel in a life through our suffering as you've done, Paul. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And I thank you for your word. I pray that it moves beyond... Uh, meditation today and information and moves into a place uh, of action in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.